yeah, be kind of uh, moorish to keep going down that path once you really are on it and feel the difference. Mm. But then also having that ability to um, recognize that you have got beyond a certain point because often, you know, we're just always looking ahead. We don't look behind to see where we've come from mm. and appreciate what we weren't able to do and um, just taking stock every now and again of where we're at because mm. life is always going to be an evolution and a journey and um, we just, uh, you know, have a few other curveballs along the way but then if we have more tools on board to deal with them, more um, internal re resources, uh, which is part of the whole process of SV as well to um, really come back to where um, in that person's life, in that body, are things already working well. So not always going to what's not working, mm -hmm. but building what's working yeah. to help the bits that are maybe not so happy. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional caretakers and inhabitants of this land across Australia. Also locally where I stand, the Beer Pie people, who continue their cultural practices, wisdom and law. Hi and welcome to the Pollination Mamas podcast where we have collaborative conversations, cross-pollinate and connect as we span our wings across topics such as feminine wisdom, womb wisdom, herbal plant medicine, natural fertility awareness, postpartum care, sacred sisterhood, sacred motherhood, women's circles and deep connectedness. If you're here, I believe you too are on a journey to reclaim and revitalise ancient feminine wisdom in a modern context, not only for ourselves now, but for future generations to come. Thank you so much for being here. Welcome to the Pollination Mamas podcast. I'm sitting here a little bit rugged up midwinter. It is July the 5th, uh, sitting on the beautiful mid-north coast of New South Wales. Kind of sound like I'm opening a radio show. I've also <laughs> got a guest here, an Australian guest uh, calling in from Melbourne. I've got Nisha Gill from Feminine Instincts, who offers perinatal and trauma services. Nisha is a holistic wellbeing and perinatal practitioner, passionate about supporting women to experience their potency through the profound wisdom of their bodies. Nisha, honestly, has an amazing array of skills and services. <laughs> Please go check out our website. Um, just for that alone, and then I'm sure there'll be other things there that you'd be interested in. So they include somatic experiencing and practice for trauma, trauma healing, sorry, body work for birth, birth education, doula birth support, postnatal fourth trimester supports, and feminine embodiment, to name a few. So like I said, Nisha, that is an amazing array of services and I didn't even list them all in detail. <laughs> I pulled out some <laughs> cool ones. You've obviously been in this field for a while and accumulating lots of knowledge and practising. Um, so that was part of the reason I was drawn to have you on here. I'm super excited to chat. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Shelley. It's a real honour to be amongst all these other people that you've had. I have listened into a few podcasts and um, I think we're all like-minded, like-spirited beings. So I love this grassroots kind of movement where, you know, um, we can make a difference, I think. Yeah, absolutely. What we all bring, yeah. Yeah. So I'd love to start with the name, Feminine Instincts. I feel like that sort of 
encapsulates everything you do because it's so diverse yet like a really holistic picture. So can you tell us a little bit more about why feminine instincts and what that means? Yeah, as I started diversifying and wearing different hats, I figured there was a theme that ran right through it and that is that we're mammals and we're primal and instinctual and um, that, um, you know, we tend to live in our heads but the, the profound power and wisdom is really in our bodies. And um, I kind of also wanted to give the message that I'm working um, mostly with women now. So bringing in that feminine element just in my business name was kind of um, already saying <laughs> to the population out there, this is who I really want to work with. And so it kind of fit and I mulled over it for a while and I thought, yeah, especially my birth preparation, birth support, um, and also the trauma work I do, they all um, are based on the fact that we're mammals and so it kind of tied everything together quite nicely for me. Yeah, I love it. Love it. Yeah. Yeah, so I am particularly drawn to the somatic work that you do, so we'll get into that in a little bit. But I'd love to jump straight into trauma because that ties yeah. somatic. Um, and you make such a good point. We sometimes think... We seem to think that our mind is in control and sort of leading, leading the charge, but really mm. a lot of what, where that's coming from is uh, what we hold in our bodies and how our nervous yeah. system is operating. Yeah. So in particular to birth trauma, it's somewhat of a taboo conversation yet becoming more um, common and more frequent, which is great. Mm. Um, so can you tell us a little bit more about why having knowledge and access to healing, knowledge about birth trauma and access to healing and what types of healing is so important? Oh, where do I start here? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, that stat that's bandied around one in three births is um, um, felt as being traumatic, I feel is really the tip of the iceberg. Um, I think when there's trauma, there's a lot of... Um, um, shame, isolation, guilt, um, lack of understanding, uh, a lot of misdiagnosis in the mental health field. You know, um, the symptoms often look like um, anxiety or depression, your so-called garden variety postnatal depression. Um, and that's a whole other topic, what, what is postnatal depression, right? We can go down that rabbit hole as well. But trauma, um, uh, perhaps I should just start with my definition which is um, influenced by my training and um, the way in which I work through somatic experiencing is um, more of a, um, a nervous system response to something that happened that was overwhelming whether it was a um, you know like a physical or emotional sort of challenge or combination of the two whether it was real or whether it was just the, the, that person's perception uh, no matter what it is, um, our, our mammalian bodies, our human uh, mammalian bodies are primed to respond, to protect and help us survive. And when something happens that's too much out of our coping range, so, um, you know, it's too much of a stimulus or it happened too quickly, we weren't able to um, get ready in time, or it happened too fast, our nervous system tends not to be able to process and integrate all of that. 
And so um, what happens is that there's an incomplete response. And if you've worked in birth, I'm not sure if you've um, actually supported women in birth, there's one um, response that does tend to happen a lot, and that's uh, trembling and shaking. And in a medicalised setting, people tend to, um, you know, there's a lot of that shaking rather than just seeing it through, which is the body's natural way of um, kind of discharging that overwhelming experience because birth, no matter how blissful it seems, is still overwhelming. And, um, you know, if you kind of just shortcut that with a... Um, with something to counteract that um, adrenal coming off adrenaline sort of um, stage, then you can kind of thwart the completion of that threat response or overwhelming response or stress response, if you like, and that can sort of set people up for a sense of incompleteness in the nervous system, not so much on that um, you know cognitive um, conscious awareness level, and. Um, when that happens, the threat detector in the brain continues on high alert as if that threat's continuing. So we don't switch off. What we um, learn to do is we tend to um, avoid, we um, shrink our world so that we can step around these triggering um, sort of forces around because um, those, you know, that, that incident will be kind of related in some somatic um memory or sometimes even conscious memories from birth that might then set off that response so we try to um, avoid that, that because it's too overwhelming and let's face it if our heartbeat's running out of control it's actually quite a dangerous situation so the um, body knows how to inhibit that uh, we don't necessarily make a conscious choice and so we come down with all these patterns of holding it all together and holding it in and um, you know that's where we build a constriction in our, our body parts and um, um, this can be sort of the precursor to long-term chronic unwellness autoimmune disorders it's actually quite well documented now that um, childhood adverse events will precipitate many decades later some of these conditions so it's already quite well researched um, that sort of link um, and this whole thing is underpinned by you probably have heard of the polyvagal theory by Stephen Porges uh, which comes back to that whole that response cycle and being mammals and one of the things that is not well understood is the freeze response so um, in the animal mammalian world, we, um, uh, I guess, different species have their go-tos, like a possum is usually going to go into freeze more quickly than, say, a tiger. But um, we humans, we also have our, our, our default patterning from our childhood um, experiences typically. But when we can't fight somebody or flee and escape from that situation, the go-to is going to be the freeze response. and it is kind of like a step beyond fight and flight. So while people who are in freeze look very peaceful and numbed out, and uh, it's actually a um, very um, highly charged state where, you know, you've got to fight and flight and there's this high energy and then the brake comes down um, to stop the heart just racing out of control. Um, but underlying all, that, all of that is that fight and flight energy still, which hasn't been 
discharged or released in some way if it was cut short, if you can hear what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And really so, explanation. Yeah. And, you know, trauma is a heavy word, but I um, see it as, okay, there's that um, more extreme end that's called PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, um, and that is a psychiatric definition. Um, but then there's um, trauma with a little T, all these cumulative moments in our lives where we didn't get to do the completion, and they do build up. They, our body kind of remembers, as they say, and um, keeps the score. And so when we travel along life by avoiding feelings and the completion of these responses, uh, what happens is our coping bandwidth or our window of tolerance or our resilience range, it kind of starts to shrink. And so when we come to birth, and I always say it's a state, more than anything, it's a state we enter birth in. It's not so much about who was there, what happened exactly um, and why. But if we have that narrow bandwidth, then it won't take us much to tip over the edge. And just to give you an example, I had a woman who worked with someone who had birth trauma, syndic birth trauma. It was certainly precipitated by birth, but she had something like three car accidents and developmental trauma and childhood trauma that were part of the background. And so when she got to birth, what you have to do in birth is really open and surrender and you are lifting the lid on all those um, uh, patterns of holding it all together. And so stuff comes spewing up and that can um, be like trauma for that person. Um, yeah, so <laughs> there are lots of different um, aspects to all of this. Of course, it's very individual, but I really feel it's like an inside-out experience and no one can tell you it's not trauma or it is. Um, yeah, I think um, in our world these days there's a lot of polarised views. Some people under-report trauma and some people um, are seen to over-report it and, and make a fuss about nothing, as it were. But I still think it comes back to how is that person feeling and if they're seemingly drawing attention by saying they're not feeling um, quite right, we still have to delve deeper and, and support that, especially when we're talking about a postnatal situation where there's, you know, at least one other little human being whose, um, whose world is at stake here because um, I, I feel that uh, mum and babies are completely inseparable at birth. So when I'm working with a mother or father around their birth trauma, I feel I'm working with the whole family because um, it really does impact on their development as well. Mm. Yeah. yeah, good point, Sarah, about it being an impact on the whole family. And you're so mm. right. So trauma could, for example, it could even be the father who experienced it, who saw things playing out in a certain way that the mother mm. didn't and vice versa, yeah. the mother may have experienced. And, yeah, you, you never really know what um, emotionally came up for a person in birth even one little comment could bring up a huge trauma that yeah. no one else could see but could be felt very deeply in a very vulnerable space where, like you say, the mother needs to be open and surrender and to open and surrender you need to feel safe. And if mm. you're having a trauma experience, it's the opposite of feeling safe. Exactly, yeah, so you absolutely. you can get to that place of safety, um, then, yeah, there could be... Um, 
uh, blocks in the birth there and then obviously yeah. afterwards. And I really yeah. like the um, the analogy um, or the, the opposite, the other side of fight or flight, which is freeze and appease. I've seen you and other people write about, which you hear yeah. about when someone has a car accident, they initially afterwards they're just so clear and they're so able to act and then mm -hmm. afterwards the shock will come in, the shakes <laughs> will come in. And yeah, yeah. I don't work in birth, um, but I've had three births myself and I definitely yeah. um, had the shaking. I had a lot of stuff and whole story. Actually, I did your um, birth trauma quiz, which mm -hmm. I find really interesting and I'll definitely put the link up for people. So, yeah, Nisha has a birth trauma quiz on her website, um, which is just really handy even to get an idea of some of the, the feelings and symptoms that, associated with birth trauma no. yeah because as, uh, as I said people either think they're going crazy or they've been labeled you know with a mental health disorder and that can be such a weight in itself you know mm. but to normalize and and um, validate what they're going through is so so important but I had a little giggle when you were talking about car accident because it took me back to about oh 35 years ago when I had my first car and a semi-trailer knocked into me and um, after I realized everything was fine I wasn't you know there was not a scratch um, on me maybe the car was slightly dented um, I had this real sense of wanting to befriend this person who had who had driven into me and I just couldn't fathom why that was it was a very um, distinct response and Years and decades later, I now understand it was just my way of responding. And yeah, it's usually female humans who tend to do more, more of that because we have to protect ourselves and our offspring. So the best way is to kind of befriend the enemy. They also call it Stockholm Syndrome. Um, and it's not a conscious choice. It's just um, a primal response that happens. Yeah, which um, so, yeah. is called tend and befriend, right? So that's part of Some, yes. the yeah. freeze and appease. The part of the appease yeah. is tend and befriend, which same, is really same interesting. Thing. Yeah. I can relate to that and I can see how yeah. other women have done that too. Yeah, and that can be a trauma response, right? Is Absolutely. Yes, yeah. I can't yeah. run and I can't fight, so I just have to get this threat on side so I can... Mm -hmm slowly in my own time without them noticing get out of here or make this work the best possible way or ensure we survive we yes. uh, you know it's better to um go along with the perpetrator yep. than um have them kill us kind of yes. thing <laughs> in stark yeah. terms right animal really terms animal yeah. level yeah absolutely yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that's really important for people to understand that so yeah. so you might have someone just to um add to that you might have someone who's really you know, like a, a person um, who works in the corporate field, always in control and managing, and they find themselves in birth and having that response and being completely bewildered. Well, why couldn't I actually say what I wanted or, um, you know, stand up for myself? Mind you, you don't really want a woman having to do that in birth if she's in her primal uh, brain, but, um, you know, just actually feeling um, completely um different to their normal way of being mm. notwithstanding that they're in birth but you know mm. just that inability to speak up as it were yeah yeah that freeze on the, on the vocal expression yeah. yeah so somatic 
experiencing and somatic practice, I'd love for you to share with listeners a theory behind it um, from a place maybe where some people have never heard of somatic experiencing or somatic theory mm-hmm. and um, some yeah. may have. So, yeah, a little, sort of a little bit of a basic and then how somatic experiencing and practice can, uh, what that would feel and look like for someone if they were, if they chose that as um, a way to achieve some healing from trauma. Mm-mm-mm. Thanks for asking the question. It's kind of my passion, and like, I'll have to limit how how far down the rabbit hole I go. But um, so, somatic experiencing was um, developed over around forty years. Keeps evolving, I guess, by someone called Peter Levine over in the US, um, and he's got a varied background. Some people think he's a shaman, um, and there is that element um, of just sensing into things. So, quite an intuitive side to it although that's not highlighted as we um, did the training. It was uh, very much based in, you know, nervous system awareness and the polyvagal theory. Um, And um, the basic premise is that we need um, safety and connection um, for any kind of renegotiating of that trauma. So we can't kind of skip ahead and just kind of blast through or push through to try to cathars and hope that um, that you know initial softening of tissue, which you can get with catharsis, is then healing. So it's it's spoken of as a um, bottom-up, top-down approach, tuning into what the body and more specifically the nervous system is doing. Um, and nervous system or the autonomic nervous system, how we tune into that is by looking at the kinds of states. So um, we get you know, fairly um, adept at kind of reading subtle things like um, changes in breathing and heart rate, even just watching someone's carotid artery or um, however that um, may be for that practitioner. But um, tuning into the subtle changes, so creating a safe container where they know that they're not stuck, they have this experience in their body um, of knowing, okay, these feelings are too big for my container to handle at the moment, but then we kind of build their container by giving their nervous system the message it's not stuck in this um, scary kind of place, that it actually has places of um, ease and reliability and spaciousness and grounding, maybe even pleasure in that same body. So. It's almost like the body parts start talking to each other eventually and that's kind of the beautiful thing about it is that it's the same body that's holding these terrifying um, experiences and feelings and sensations but the same body has these other places so um, pretty much what we do is swing or the, the word that's used is kind of pendulate and give them the experience of both sides but without going too much towards the traumatic material but also not eventually when there's a level of stability and they can cope with a bit more, not kind of um, keeping them too much in the cotton wool area because the whole process has to be uncomfortable at some point so that, you know, the systems just stretch that little bit without tipping them over the edge. So it's a very, um, you know, sensing into, literally sensing into space. So a client may walk in and I might have some ideas 
that we might be ready to work on something, but their nervous system might declare something completely different. And we just follow that train in the moment um, to see where that leads. A lot of tracking and um, when uh, we feel into, um, you know, any kind of activation of charge coming up, sometimes there can be certainly sensation, feeling, texture, colour, um, smell, sound, all these sensual um, kinds of memories can come up, somatic memories. Sometimes there's meaning that might arise, a metaphorical kind of meaning or words that, you know, that body part might have some message for us to express. So it can vary a lot and some people more visual, some more kinesthetic like myself. And um, working with that again in the moment and um, being a little bit creative when it comes to a point where the person has enough stability in their nervous system to then actually go back to the event and do the repair work it's all about slowing everything down so that they have time to process both from that bottom up but also then the top down the um the witness the adult witness in the present day um helping integrate that information um, that actually that was the past, this is now and this is me in the present moment looking back through that lens and um, having that sense of completeness. And in that process, I, one step I missed was that often there'll be that natural uh, wanting to complete some response. Say there was a car accident invo involved in the tra traumatic um, response. It might be we use our imagination a little bit here that we might want a competent protector kind of thing some superhero to whisk us away or slow everything down so that you actually saw that car coming but then you can maybe the uh, the oncoming vehicle um somehow turn its direction so that you know you were um scathed. there's an element of imagination but only so far as to give the nervous system and the body that sense that they had it had come through unscathed or, or alive at least you know so it's um uh, uh, using a, a bit of imagination to create a level of completion let's just say and when we um do that with people we know like it may be a parent it can be really quite um uh, a challenge to okay, have mum or dad being thrown onto Mars because of whatever incident that wasn't resolved from childhood and it needs to be completed at that primal level. You know, um, the, the part of our brain that's the good citizen and the, the obedient child and the, um, you know, compliant daughter might not want to do any of that, but for the sake of completion, it's, better not to jump into forgiveness if you like and have that sense um as an animal to complete that if mm. that makes sense and I, I think i've gone around in circle i haven't quite fully answered this plenty more I no no that's great that. no that makes yeah. a lot of sense yeah that like the body remembers if there hasn't been a completion of that yeah. event it's but with somatic practice, I was just going to say it's a it's a um, separate kind of training, and it's a, kind of like an extension of um, somatic experiencing. But it's working directly through physical touch. Um, 
because one of the big things with trauma is um, a reluctance to be in the body, so to disembody ourselves because it's a scary place. So finding ways to just even through that um, co-regulation, direct sort of touch, um, meaning that my body is uh, the practitioner, um, assuming I'm regulated myself, is going to help that person's body also regulate um, and it's not an energy modality, it's just a being with and as a kind of like a, um, the body parts themselves doing the conversation under our conscious awareness. Um, so it's quite an interesting style of working, but I, I love it because it, I've been longing for some really subtle but powerful way to work with the body. And um, yeah, some people get a huge lot of benefits. So that's style of work is great for settling the nervous system so when there's anxiety and long-term especially in things like um, complex developmental trauma there's you know there hasn't been that platform of building um from let's just use the word normal sort of development they've always um had this especially when it's a birth trauma for the baby or in utero trauma they've always had that um, baseline of the world's a scary place, a threatening place. So their their whole nervous systems developed along those lines. They don't even know what you and I might see as normal, you know, in our nervous systems. So, um, so they're um, coming um, from a different baseline altogether, and so they need that sense of. Um, uh, a lot more settling and safety and they're far more sensitive usually to minor changes so it has to be much more uh, gentle and slow and unfortunately the longer we have trauma the the longer it does tend to take to um, unravel it um, mm. like, yeah yeah, whereas I don't know if that's kind of making sense. Yeah, yeah. it is making sense whereas if there was mm. one event whether it was a birth trauma or something else you could go to that event and you yeah. work with that event in time but when you've got layers and layers and layers of small medium large traumas throughout then mm. a bit harder to pinpoint an event but having to go to feelings certain times yeah. then it would take a much longer to unravel i can imagine yeah okay so that helps and the, and yeah i was just gonna say and the journey you know like every bit of chipping away is a bit more vitality a bit more energy a bit more freedom, lack of restriction. And so it becomes self, um, uh, what you call, um, you know, fulfilling and uh, it, it can, yeah, be kind of uh, moorish to keep going down that path once you really are on it and feel the difference. Mm. But then also having that ability to um, recognise that you have got beyond a certain point because often you know we're just always looking ahead we don't look behind to see where we've come from mm. and appreciate what we weren't able to do and um just taking stock every now and again of where we're at because mm. life is always going to be an evolution and a journey and um we just uh you know have a few other curveballs along the way but then if we have more tools on board to deal with them more um, internal re resources uh, which is part of the whole process of SV as well to um, really come back to 
where um, in that person's life in that body are things already working well so not always going to what's not working but mm. building what's working yeah. to help the bits that are maybe not so happy yeah that identifying those strengths to then bring them in yeah. very much yeah theory like social work because i come from a social work background strengths-based approach where you sit with someone and you find yeah. out what the strengths are okay but you're mm. having some challenges here so how can we utilize those strengths to get where you want to be it's very much yeah. about looking at the trauma and mm. I, I like that differentiation that you've given us between somatic experiencing being using the imagination and that narrative but then the experiencing being the practice sorry being about um, some physical touch so really even though it's all very much what's held in the body but using a bit more of that gentle physical touch to integrate that story and that trauma through the body as well yeah, they're, they're probably not <clears throat> as distinctly separate as that. They're a little bit more seamless. Um, yeah, and yeah. It, it touch just adds another dimension, but yes. you could be doing exactly the same work. Um, so resolving, say, birth trauma by slowing everything down and revisiting, but not in a just in a kind of like a telling the story, the narrative mm. kind of way, mm. which can be very conceptual. And um, if we don't bring back the awareness that things, um, you know, there's safe ground within your body to come back to if things get too charged as you're retelling some of that, then, um, yeah, it's just different. And um, imagination only to a little extent. It's, um, Not too delusional. <laughs> Not going to take it too far. <laughs> yeah, it's only to um, help activate that energy and yeah. not dissipate it too quickly but actually to feel um the shift to kind of slow everything down so the person actually feels the shift mm. so yeah that that's the um part where you might want uh, the imagination to conjure up some ways to support that response mm. i guess yeah yeah, yeah i'm glad <laughs> you define that and on that note i think that's good to point out because a lot of the time the mainstream um, offering for a birth trauma would be counselling or to mm -hmm. see a psychologist. And so I know I've been to see um, counsellors and, and it is very much wordy. It's very heady a lot of the time. And you can, mm -hmm. while I think it's definitely got a place and it's definitely got a value mm -hmm. in healing, it, you can leave feeling a little bit charged and like you don't mm -hmm. have anywhere to take that and you're unsure of whether there's a progression. For some people, not always, because everyone's mm. unique and everyone will need different healing tools at different times. Um, and, of course, you can gain mild, mindfulness and all sorts of great skills at counselling. But the reason mm. I've been drawn to somatic therapy is because it seems to give um, just that little bit more groundedness and that little bit more um, movement and that resolution that you talk about in the body mm. which really is where it is it's not so much an intellectual concept it's something that is you're carrying in your body and then that's triggering your everyday life reactions or actions so until yeah. that's shifted out of the body you'll continue being triggered from that um, mm. and when you think about birth you know it is such a or embodied experience and then the repercussions can be yeah those body parts can shut down and um, we can disconnect 
pretty much from those and that of course can lead to all kinds of postnatal issues you know in the whole pelvic area alone mm. um, which is kind of where we hold not just stuff around birth and sexuality but life in general but when there's something quite specific like birth related trauma then it's not going to be surprising if issues come up around that part of the body as well you make another good point that and you said something earlier that birth is intense no matter what <laughs> it's yeah. going to be an intense experience but then mm. there is a slight or a slight or major difference between in the intensity of birth and a trauma within birth but mm. either way there is still often going to be some flow on into the fourth trimester into the postpartum period of physical and or emotional symptoms from mm. that birth that will need to be whether that's purely in our physiology um yeah. within the pelvis abdominals um the vulva vagina the whole reproductive area or whether that's an emotional trauma or both mm. so i'd love for you to share a little bit about um how trauma can flow on into the fourth trimester and some areas that that may emerge, what that might feel like or look like, so that people can learn to start having a language and understand what that is, what that means. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, the, the brain does change with all the cocktail of um, neurotransmitters that we have coming through birth. And um, I think there's a lot more recognition that it takes a while for the body to catch up with what's just happened, uh, things to level out and balance. So for a while, um, I don't think that primal state switches off very fast. So, you know, when we're in our real primal brain, we don't have as much access to our neocortex and be able to think that rationally and clearly with good facility of language and so forth. So my um, take is that in the early stages, there is that sort of like a six, they talk about a six-week window of plasticity where the person's very open and impressionable and uh, for better or for worse. So if we catch this early, like this kind of um, incomplete response, the sooner we catch it, um, the more we can help uh, dissipate the charge of it and then move on from there but also quite importantly in our um, postnatal world to um, you know normalize validate um, mitigate all that um, isolation and loneliness and need for perfection need for bouncing back to pre-baby state all those things that just add so much to the chaos and the depletion and the, the exhaustion let alone sleep deprivation all of those things aside those big huge judgments we put on ourselves i know working um myself through trauma but also with other clients when that judgment is taken off i'm not going crazy then quite a bit can lift in that space so um i see um doulas for instance having a really um a prime opportunity to help avert trauma responses um, and I mean I don't know you know there's I came through my doula training but the, there hasn't necessarily been enough focus I feel on that and how precious that opportunity is and how to do it in a way that um, 
is meaningful for the person working backwards from what is it a postnatal mum or this postnatal mum needs and then how can I provide that without um, without you know having a counter effect but just kind of um, going with where she's at um, a lot of us are meaning making some people will want sort of the ins and outs of what happened why what can I do about it now? But my um, preferred option is to let them just stay in that um, right brain space, that very emotive space, and just kind of have the stream of consciousness riff, express their feelings and have those validated. And um, then if it's looking like serious trauma and that's out of the scope of practice of that doula, to refer early rather than wait and see necessarily because by then all these other demons start to appear and that isolation sets in and uh, the overriding the focus on baby comes into play let's just soldier on that's another you know typical thing um or we have to make ends meet now on one income so my needs are not important only baby and the other little ones um are the priority but actually it's kind of back to front thinking because if mama's not okay baby's all the babies are not going to be okay, nor is the partner, and round and round it goes. So just knowing the importance of that. And further along the track, if there is a need to kind of um, look further into, you know, like a birth review, I, I'm kind of using those terms now to distinguish what you might bring in, like a um, place where you can actually use a bit more of your left hemisphere and do the um, reflection process um, later on say beyond six weeks um, and some people take months and months to get to that place of really understanding or wanting to be in that place of trying to piece it together so one of the things that early on is useful to do is to give them a sense of the beginning middle and the end of birth so that they're not sort of you know it's just the same as that trauma response not feeling like well there was no end to it so just giving them that cognitive reminder that there was an end to it and this is just your body going on responding as if there was no end because that's a trauma response um, in whatever way that is. And, um, um, yeah, just not uh, contradicting how she's feeling. Uh, no, should, you should be feeling like this. This is like you know, um, statistics say that blah, 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 <laughs> which can come into the piece. So um, I think uh, midwives are also in a good place to do this, especially home birth midwives. I feel in hospitals they do have protocols to follow and sometimes the agendas can be a bit, bit mixed around birth debrief. It can be very much just the factual stuff about what happened clinically and that's not necessarily maybe some of what the mother needs but it's not all of what she needs i feel sorry we went straight into bursting brief no that's fine I, I think that's a really good on. point because it can even be yeah. a little bit dismissive i actually had this experience where i tried mm. on a number of occasions to debrief my birth from an emotional point of view with some children mm. i won't go into my personal story but what i um had back in hospital was just the clinical side of it and it felt yeah. dismissive it felt mm. almost and i could see that it wasn't intentional shut down mm. and dismissive um of what i was actually trying to address <laughs> that something was mm. very, it was partly the practice 
And I hear this often from other women too, that partly it could be physically happening in practice, but how that impacted um, his acknowledgement, just to acknowledge someone, um, then someone can step into that biological state. As you said, mothers are primed in that postpartum period to biologically mm. be rewired into the new role. Yet mm. if they can't really, if they're still trying to make sense of something and they've still got adrenaline or that trauma response then to really let go and come into that full in, encompassing biological um, state that needs to happen to step into the new role can be really difficult. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, babies, um, they can't regulate themselves for quite a few years. Yes. Years. <laughs> so um, they're completely reliant on mum and dad usually and maybe mm. grandmas around um, or others. Mm. <laughs> um, and that's been very heteronormative. Um, yeah. Part, partners. For parents, partners, let's just say, yeah. parents. Yeah. And so parents um, are trying to hold it together even though they might have a calm presence with the baby but underneath their nervous system is really dysregulated the baby's going to read that their baby's mm. nervous system and um uh, bounce off on that and that's going to be their norm this is how the world is and so it's kind of they become wired for threats for challenge in their life and yeah sets them up in a particular way with that imprint um, the other thing to say is if the person doesn't have the opportunity to go blah with a, you know, um, a tuned practitioner or doula, doula, midwife, whoever it might be, even to record their feelings on their phone, like a voice mm. memo, to get it out somehow. These days, you know, I don't know that, I mean, some people might still be into journaling or a postnatal mum might not have that much time, but just to be able to say how she's feeling you know as she's walking around the house she can do this just record herself and um, get it out there and I don't recommend that partners are usually a good person to hear this because then it goes around and around they uh, trigger each other they become part of the whole that trauma response together and they really need somebody outside of family um, who's not too emotionally invested I feel Mm. Otherwise, gets very, very entangled, um, and and partners for their part need to do their own debrief sometimes. Um, and for sure, um, I learned this in my very first doula experience. You need to do your own debriefing as a doula or a midwife before you go and see that particular um, uh, birthing person to debrief. Mm. Yeah. So you can really hold space for them. Yeah, so everyone yeah. involved needs to do their own debriefing so that they can be really open and present to hold space yeah. for whatever it is with the yeah. other part without taking too much of their own stuff. Everyone takes their own but to really be able to let go of that for those yeah. moments. Yeah. 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 And good points about the partner. The partner, mm. like obviously the partner needs to have some awareness of what the birthing person um, experienced but, yeah, to mm. have a third party neutral person that can hold space really well um mm. possibly just with the birthing person but then also with both parents um or with just the partner too because um, just, i do yeah. yeah as you were saying early on you know sometimes um the partner might have witnessed um a baby being resussed and the uh, birthing person wasn't aware at all and so they're impacted by the 
mother or birth and person weren't and mm. that certainly happens a bit too. Yeah, it does. So, or a hemorrhaging yeah. and things like that. They're seeing more of what's happening then. The yeah, and then that impacts particularly that going into the next birth and, you know, like it would be back often the partners don't want <laughs> a home birth or a or a, um, a VBAC because of those issues. They haven't um, dealt with their own traumatic material from the past. Yeah, that's quite yeah. common. I have heard that quite mm. a bit. Yeah, yeah, so we've both studied with newborn mothers. Um, oh, yes. Julia Jones. So, yeah, a lot of that is ho- about holding space and really not taking your own trauma as its birth. Um, not a birth, a postpartum professional, which I mm. think is huge because a lot of people will go into this work from their own experiences um, that have shaped them and wanting to make a difference and contribute. But it's so important to know how to self-regulate your own story yeah. and then when you step into other people's stories as well. Really good. Yeah. So I think and I think great information for all birth and postpartum <laughs> professionals, really, that on even just the basic level understanding of the vagus nerve and um, mm. the nervous system. And the other thing is, you know, I think um, I, I'm not sure how underrated it is, but I'm such a kinesthet. But keep coming back to touch, how nurturing yes. touch and presence are so key in healing because uh, we are wired for that kind of connection and so that in itself can also support, I mean, the work I do through somatic practice postnatally is just about regulating nervous system to um, build their capacity and help them sleep, help them just kind of settle much more um, easily when they do sleep. Um, Mm. And any kind of touch can add to that, you know, like um, uh, postnatal gentle massage or just even hugs and being with yeah but through touch it's so primal that stage and that's kind of what i think women really need birthing people yeah it's yeah. important do you follow magamamba magamama sorry yeah them. yeah we have a similar crossover with the modalities we use so yeah and one of her pillars in i think it was in hers um postpartum care was uh, loving touch Mm-hmm. actually mm-hmm. a pillar i i pop that into supports but i agree that it's so important that that support system there in the fourth trimester needs to involve loving touch even brushing a mother's hair can be really yeah. really beautiful <laughs> because it can just yeah. be so casual and it can just be a conversation and for someone who may not be comfortable or familiar with massage i love massage mm-hmm. <laughs> i can just mm-hmm. massage every day but for people who brushing hair can be a great way to start that physical contact yeah i yeah. find with yeah. mums that i've worked with um i've studied a few different massage modalities but reflexology the feet sitting at the feet yeah. very grounding mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if they feel mm-hmm. like talking or having a conversation, it's really interesting how what will come up during that foot massage as they're grounding mm-hmm. their feelings and the feelings yes. afterwards. And then from a practical point of view, like if my mother's breastfeeding, just massaging the shoulders can be yes, unlocking that. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. moving yeah. into more like specific massage of abdominal massage further later in the fourth trimester and later postpartum to look at Mm -hmm. any kind of abdominal um, work. I know just doing my own has really assisted with with 
trauma resolution and and certain mm. feelings and emotions of what comes up if I touch my scar. I've got a C-section scar as well as, yeah. <laughs> and I've never had that frozen um, numb feeling that people talk about. And I really attribute that to gently just touching the scar after it's completely mm. closed up. So we're talking mm-hmm. about you know six weeks on and rubbing oils, and sometimes just pressing into it and. Then, allowing that instinct to just stop, to not want to feel it, to not want to look at it, to not want to have that, to just keep going, to sit with that, and it becomes much easier. And I've got full feeling. Yeah. I yeah, that's so amazing. <laughs> yeah. Doing your own um, trauma therapy and scar remediation. Oh. And I probably yeah, need to do a bit more. <laughs> scars are a um, big uh, receptacle for um, somatic, uh, you know, tra- traumatic memories and um, emotions as well. Yeah, so um, well, but desensitising as you did yeah. is beautiful, yeah. It makes so much sense with the scarring and I guess scarring can happen internally. It can happen, um, the vulva, vagina, the anus can happen in so Mm. many areas and it makes Mm. sense if we're looking at the nervous system and those um, finer nerve pathways have been cut off or interrupted with scar tissue, then Mm. that makes so much sense that there's going to be that interruption in the nervous system that needs to be reawoken or re-established yeah, but also uh, you you reminding me that um, with the the somatic approach and the polyvagal theory, even um, surgery and um, anesthesia have a big potential to trigger trauma. And I've experienced anesthesia trauma myself. Only realised as I studied trauma what it was. But um, so cutting into the body is like a mortal wound. So you know, it can precipitate um, like a shock to the body and the freeze response. But um, um, anesthesia is like an artificial freeze response and um, that may include even um, uh, epidural. So it's like artificial freeze. I'm not saying all people who receive those things are going to be traumatised, but it um, puts them in a in a, a, a zone of potential for traumatization. And so then when we work with, um, say, anesthesia trauma, often they can have sort of a taste coming out up in their mouth of the anesthesia or the sensation of the intubation tube or all kinds of somatic memories can really come up in that space, which kind of confirm that the body did remember what the conscious mind didn't necessarily hold together in a coherent way. Quite interesting. Mm. I'm so glad you brought that up because I did see you Mm. or someone else, I think it was you, write about that and I really wanted to ask. So I'm so glad you brought that up Mm. about the the induced state of freeze with um, surgery. So that would be Mm. most commonly with cesareans. And I would almost challenge that, not that it necessarily needs to be um, identified or use the word trauma, but every single person who goes through that has mm. been induced into a freeze state and that needs to be addressed in the postpartum mm. every single mm. person because whether that um, ended up being feeling like a gentle cesarean and a, a um, safe, somewhat safe experience, just acknowledging that the body was put into a life-threatening situation and mm. acknowledging the body will hold it like that and the induced freeze state, I totally relate to that and I think... Mm. Yeah, I think there needs to be some level of healing for everyone. 
with that. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, in places like France with a different agenda, uh, women postpartum have um, internal body work and that's a whole other conversation. But it's interesting, you know, some societies do recognise this very um, delicate time and and, um, honour it because it affects the whole society how Mm. things um, go around um, if one vital piece of the jigsaw is not um is 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 missing and not actually um honored then the whole jigsaw can kind of just look pretty messed up i think absolutely Um, yeah just looking at the common pillars of postpartum care culture around the world Mm. i Mm. say five and other people have different ones but they're all Mm. fairly similar being like nurture and nourish the nourishing foods and herbs but also um nurturing and nourishing words warmth Mm -hmm. temperature and food support systems which does also include that loving touch um the other ones and ritual in there so some sort of um that could be small or large that could be religious or a a small sort of acknowledgement ceremony of that transition into motherhood that much yeah yeah, and like the closing of the bones you're yeah, getting closing at. closing of the bones <laughs> is another really powerful and wonderful mm. one. And just by having those pillars of postpartum care, a good portion of trauma or um, the healing would happen. And then you'd be able to see where extra supports were needed if there was excess beyond that. And I would yeah, say exactly. yeah. just by yeah. receiving, and most cultures had loving touch every day, some sort of massage exactly. every day. Even or I twice a day. Or <laughs> twice, yeah, at least once yeah. a day. <laughs> Whether that be even getting the nice herbal washes, the beautiful warm mm-hmm. water that's been prepared with intention and washed over you and it would have been towel padded dry and then oil massages mm-hmm. from some cultures. But I found an old book, um, which had some gems in it, had a lot of really strange stuff um, based on British postpartum care. So it was at a time where they had Mm -hmm. lost a lot of the, um, it was only fairly recent, it was like 100 years ago it was written. Um, So they'd lost a lot of the really midwife-led knowledge. But it talked about massage every Mm -hmm. day with lavender oil. That's not pure lavender oil. With with, (laughs) um, a lavender wash, sorry, and with um, Mm -hmm. lavender oil. Oil with infused with lavender, not essential oil. <laughs> I just want to make that mm. don't go dousing yourself in pure essential um, oil. Yeah. yeah, so quite interesting, even from that British lineage there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And from a practical point of view, to help with circulation as well as yeah, just that loving touch and inducing oxytocin. And, and permission to slow right down, right? Because yeah. that, that is just not part of our society these days. Mm. Um, the expectations we put on ourselves as mothers is just um, crazy, really. <laughs> crazy yeah. making. And the practicality um, sometimes of not being able to if you've got another child or two in tow and not much support mm. Yeah, at home mm, even if mm, you wanted mm. to slow down learning how to yeah. those supports or where to find supports and how to bring them in. Yeah, and I come from a, a cross-cultural background. So uh, while I'm Australian, my background's Indian and um, I learned the hard way that I needed to slow down because I struggled um, with postnatal anxiety even though I had parents around me for support that moved to live, come and live close to me from another country. 
And I still didn't know how to ask for that support because I had become this strong, independent woman, quote, unquote, <laughs> who thought that, you know, you, you don't ask for too much. You just, um, you just uh, yeah, get on with it and you survive. And so where I got that from, I don't know. Maybe it was my partly also my attachment style, but, um, uh, yeah, it was um, to my detriment and probably was not as present for my young family as I could have been but that was a whole other journey because it's mm. another positive side to all all the things that we deal with in our lives but um, yeah I learned the hard way basically. I think that is almost and I can relate to many women I speak to the shadow side of feminism whereas feminism mm. is extremely important and a lot of great things have come from the feminist movement gaining equality and there's still more to do but that feeling like we need to be so independent and do everything on our own just sort of like an accidental side effect of Mm. of gaining that independence so I'm so glad you brought up your um lineage because I do Mm. I'm really trying to weave that more and more into my podcast as I explore my own Mm -hmm. your background is India where in India are your family Uh, in Punjab so northern Ah, India I love the Punjab area wear turbans (laughs) yeah yeah I love Punjab area I stayed in Amritsar for a while um travel through there a bit I love Punjabi food Mm. Um, and so your parents did come over to live with you in the postpartum Yeah. And look, my mum was at both my births. She was at um, three out of five of her grandchildren's births. And she was kind of like my spiritual midwife, just a very quiet, grounding presence without any intrusion. And she probably gave both, uh, at least one of my children their first bath and taught me a lot about being confident with babies because she was always confident with young babies and taught me how to do baby massage, which was part of the whole, you know, uh, thing that they did <laughs> back then. And, um, yeah, so, yeah, a lot of hands-on knowledge that she um, shared. And, yeah, there were certain foods to kind of warm the body as well. Um, yeah, interesting. It was a beautiful bonding time, you know, um, I think. Yeah, I probably, um, long story, but shied away from my culture because it represented a lack of freedom. But when um, I could embrace some of these beautiful practices as a new mother, I saw another side of it that also bonded with my mum in a whole different way, which was really lovely. Oh, I'm so glad you said that because I think that's such an important thing as we're revitalising postpartum care culture so it doesn't get mm. lost in cultures that still have it quite strong or are still mildly. Yeah. Um, mm. That, yeah, that young women, modern women would be grappling with that, that, re, that letting go of some aspects of their culture and mm. but still embracing that really beautiful culture of mother care. And you yeah. had that experience. So I did, yeah. did you have massage every day? Like I, hear- I, I didn't, no. Um, she wasn't necessarily a massage person, but um, still, you know, did all the cooking and just was there to catch yeah. the baby and, and look after us. And wow. <laughs> yeah, it was a lush space, yeah. yeah. But I, I also inadvertently touched on that topic of attachment issues, with which going back to birth, I think... Part of this um, whole delicateness that we're in, apart from just the physicality of birth and all of those things, I think birth in that primal state does actually trigger a lot of our attachment issues and they can come 
spewing mm. up as well to just add to the mix. Yeah. Um, and so things like abandonment or needing to keep people at a distance, or everything becomes into greater focus in that kind of primal space and uh, when everything, you know, and our brain shifting around and trying to find a new um, level, if you like, in the body. Um, so that's another thing that um, I, a few of my trauma cro- colleagues and I are kind of trying to weigh up what role attachment issues can sometimes play in birth trauma itself as mm. well. Yeah, because just that's having, like, yeah. having awareness yeah. and education about this, yeah. just mm. knowing that this can happen and these things can happen can be mm. so beneficial because as mm. they're happening, whether it's in birth or after, you can think, oh, yeah, th- I learned about this. This mm-hmm. is something natural. This, I'm not going crazy. This is normal. And mm. maybe I have some tools or I know I can get some tools from someone else. Yeah, because we are in a regressed state, right, in in birth. If we're in primal, undisturbed birth, we're quite regressed. And then it's an opportunity to rewrite that past as well. And so that's where this is a part of birth I love, just like recreating who we are, like full permission. (laughs) On so many levels, going out to the park and meeting um, other adults and and playing silly baby games and, uh, you know, just a whole new way of being when you have children and you've kind of come through this rite of passage. So I'm getting excited just <laughs> recalling all of that and, you know, yeah. the women I've supported and seeing this kind of um, shift and, and then very demure people finding their roar. There's nothing quite like that. Yeah, Um, that opportunity for transformation. It is a huge opportunity. In Chinese Mm. medicine, they call it a golden opportunity. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad. That's such a positive note um, to Mm. start wrapping up on is that it it can be a real opportunity as well. So knowing that and having certain intentions around that, if supported Mm. well, because it's definitely not something you can do on your own. And also see that in partnerships, you know, relationships, just if you um, use that as an opportunity to deepen and Mm. um, find ways for both people to step up um, Mm. in a a supported way. And that's the part of being a doula. I really love seeing couples get closer together through that journey. Yeah. 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 It's almost essential. (laughs) It's almost well, if they're going to survive as a unit, it is. Yeah. yeah. Yes, that's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. But also it shows up the cracks <laughs> like yeah. nothing else will. So, yeah. yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Well, I'm aware of your time and we've covered so much. I feel like I've probably got a hundred other questions. But um, <laughs> thank you so much. I feel like that is so much um wonderful important knowledge and information and wisdom for people to integrate and sit with and um think about how that might attribute to their own stories or someone they know or as a birth or postpartum professional and you do offer a lot of services um where can people find you online and you're in melbourne as well so yeah if you could just tell us a little bit about where people can find you uh, yeah, thank you so much, Shelley, for this opportunity. I've loved chatting on this Friday afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> um, and just kind of reinvigorating my own passion for this this whole area of work. Um, so I have got a website. It's 
www.feminineinstincts.com.au at the end. Um, I do um, have that birth quiz and a couple of other um, opt-in type things. One's a somatic tracking journey and the other is a five-day um, pleasure journey for I actually use it with my uh, pregnant women as well, wanting them to get more in touch with their sensuality so that, uh, and sexuality um, around birth preparation. That's something they can access. Um, and I also, for people who are kind of um, not sure if they want to, um, uh, you know, seek help for what they think might be birth trauma, just offer like a 20-minute, half-hour um, a Zoom consult, so that or phone consult to just clarify from their sharing whether it is likely to be that or not. And they may be in another part of Australia or the world. And I mean, I do personally work um, online uh, because some of the work is very um, uh, effective online. Not, of course, the direct touch, but you can substitute that with self touch anyway. Um, but um, uh, that's also through my website, just my contact page. People can mm. link in um, and find a calendar online where I offer, you know, about six slots a week to um, anyone anywhere in the world if they want that um, option. Or also to just suss me out and yeah. see if we are a good fit, you know, like um, where I come from and in terms of um, my philosophy of birth or perinatal work or trauma work just to see if that is where they feel comfortable mm. um yeah because i i just feel this other kind of awareness there are not many places that um people can just i mean th there are the helplines but there are not many places where you can just kind of have that almost like a triage system to kind of have that stepping stone to get a feel and big motivation is to mitigate that isolation you know where people are just stuck at home postnatally they don't know if they're going crazy mm. they don't know where to turn and maybe don't necessarily quite see eye to eye with their local care providers or um, haven't even got out the door to go and seek that don't feel they want to um, feel Thanks free. Thanks so much for tuning in and listening today. I really hope there was something there for you. Please feel free to head on over to Instagram and Facebook pages, Pollination Mamas, and leave your thoughts, ideas, inspirations, feedback. I'd also really love for this to partly be a collaborative experience for all of you out there listening and to hear what topics, uh, ideas for guest speakers that you might have. And also, if you feel to, I would really appreciate if you head on over to iTunes, Anchor FM and the other platforms and left a review for the Pollination Mamas podcast. This helps for the podcast to be seen more and to get the word out there of these topics that we're all discussing to a larger audience. I found podcasts so helpful to feel a bit more connected to ideas that I didn't realize were um, so common amongst us all so yeah also feel free to share with anyone out there that you feel may gain something from this i also have a sign up on my website pollinationmamas.com where i send out approximately a monthly mail out with latest podcasts sales on my small batch largely homegrown herbal products latest workshops and other thoughts and ideas that i might pop up on the blog occasionally 
So thanks again for tuning in and hope to have you listening again soon.